For the fourth song movement, Mahler chose another Chinese poem that expresses both the beauties of nature and the sensibilities of youth. Several images connect this poem with Van der Jugend. Both refer to the beautiful flora reflected in clear waters and the charms of young maidens who cavort in the shining sunlight. A riverbank replaces the pool of the preceding movement. Frolicking animals complete the picture of natural life in hale and hearty spirit. Even descriptions of dress, such as references to the embroidered sleeves of the young girls, have their counterpart in von der Jugend, reference to silk sleeves, for example. Youth and beauty, long associated in lyric poetry, are symbols of the pleasures of life that we would wish to go on forever. In this sense, the appearance of this poem at this point in Das Lied relates to Nietzsche's Midnight Song from Also Sprach Zarathustra, used as the text for the fourth movement of the third symphony, Alle Lust will Ewigkeit. Both the third and fourth song movements reflect that principle in a dream vision in which the human spirit tries to forget the torments of loneliness, alienation, and fear of death, in a nostalgic reverie in which the simpler, purer, and more natural aspects of life are depicted in an idealized fantasy of a distant past. The young maidens gather lotus blossoms by a riverbank, apparently daydreaming about their young men, who soon gallop in on their gallant steeds. As these valiant young heroes dash by, their vigorous horses carelessly tread upon the flower beds. When they have passed, the fairest of the maidens, whose heart is set aflutter by the lad's bravado, sighs longingly. Mahler made several changes to Betke's original text, adding his own words to both connect the song movement with the previous one and to emphasize certain ideas during the recapitulation. The delicacy and ease of Mahler's musical expression befits the subject of the poem. As in Von der Jugend, the, the music has a dreamlike quality, but when the gallant lads appear and ride roughshod over the idyllic scene, displaying their equestrian prowess, the pastoral serenity is disturbed, the music becomes agitated, even brutal, as if the beauty of life, symbolized by the maidens, is forced to face the harsh reality of masculine brutality. Decorative ornamentation in trills, grace notes, and fluttering figuration are even more pervasive here than in the previous song, reflecting the images of nature evoked by the text. Pentatonic scales abound in both the introduction and the principal melodic line. A strident march intrudes during the development, despoiling the peaceful mood as a counterfoil to the wistful atmosphere of the opening prelude. Both subjects have pentatonic elements, contain the motto phrase that unites all six song movements, and are related melodically. The march theme begins with the same phrase the flutes played in the second measure, but changed rhythmically. Their musical connotations align them with the textual references to which they relate. Constantine Floros identifies the opening music with the girls of the poem and the march music with the lads. Donald Mitchell goes even further in suggesting that, quote, the vocal part embodies the dreamy girls and their flowers, while the orchestra discloses that which the girls are really dreaming about, the handsome young men on their horses, unquote. The vocal line is sometimes completely independent of the orchestra, disregarding its musical surroundings. At other times, it is but a musical outline of the orchestral part. Yet text and music are in perfect accord, 
the latter enhancing the images conjured up by the former. Once again, Mahler organizes the movement around the structure of the poem, its five strophes being presented in sonata form. He gives the orchestra greater independence from the vocal material than in the earlier movements, letting the orchestra play without the voice for longer stretches than in any of the other movements save the finale. Virtually all the thematic material derives from the first five measures. Mitchell calls the music of the first two measures the glance motive, with its furtive grace-noted tones suggesting a coquettish twinkle of the eye. In contrast, the march music is vigorous and becomes extremely agitated during the development section, as the young men astride their horses stir the tender emotions of the young girls to fever pitch. Structurally, this extensive segment of the development, with its continuously increasing tempo that suddenly gives way to the slower tempo of the opening, recalls a similar episode in the slow movement of the fourth symphony with its tiered allegro sequence. Two counter-subjects presented primarily in the orchestra represent the maidens and their heroic lads. The maiden's theme appears at the very beginning of the movement, a decorative five-measure prelude for a chamber group of two flutes, a horn, and violins. The opening bars contain not only the movement's essential motivic material, but also the symphony's motto, hidden in the phrase played first by muted violins on the third and fourth beats. Flutes ornament the opening of the maiden's theme with trill-dotted rhythms and sixteenth-note figuration. In the third measure, the horn plays a series of falling fourths that will later be associated with the horse's gallop. The end of the prelude telescopes into the entrance of the vocal soloist. The exposition begins on shifting meters. Although the movement is primarily in common time, the occasional meter changes create an unsteadiness that might relate to the maiden's flightiness. The alto sings a charming tune that is distinctly different from both the maiden's theme and the little march that represents the lads, which enters in the woodwinds three beats after she begins. The juxtaposition of orchestral melody and vocal line is in keeping with the narrative form of the text. A downward direction at the beginning of the alto's melody contrasts with the rising upbeat of the lad's theme. Set against the delicacy of the maiden's theme, the lad's theme sounds virile, even cocky. It not only has the motto notes in common with the maiden theme, but also contains a hint of the horse's galloping figure, repeating falling fourths. The phrase played by violins on the third and fourth beats of the prelude is transposed down a fifth and reconfigured rhythmically to begin the march tune. When that tune ends, its cadence is telescoped into a variant of the first measure of the movement, the glance motive, played softly by violins. It serves as a lead-in to the second part of strophe one, a variation of the vocal line used for the strophe's first part. Mahler includes the motive Der Tagist Schön from the fourth song of Kintetotenlieder in the vocal line. The alto reaches the very depths of her range in contrast with the high, flighty violin figuration developed from the maiden's theme. A brief, capsulized version of the introduction leads into strophe two that begins with a strident upbeat. This time the voice enters as the woodwinds repeat the march tune. The alto's upbeat rises as she sings a variation on the melody used for strophe one. At the close of the brief second strophe, which ends as the first one did, 
piccolo and violin play a little arching phrase fashioned from the motto notes, the third and fourth beats of the prelude and the violins. This is echoed wistfully by horns in thirds and then piccolo. This dreamy little figure functions as a refrain and will return during the recapitulation. Once again, Mahler telescopes a cadence into the next segment by having the concluding note also function as the beginning of the new section, which is but a brief return of the opening prelude, now in a bright, if yet delicately soft, E major. Let's listen from the beginning of the song through the beginning of the second strophe. Next, the alto continues strophe two, beginning with the words Sona spiegelt ihr Schlankenglieder, with the rising three-note phrase from the motive of longing, followed by a variant of the arching phrase that had already appeared in the music for this strophe, and is set against a dotted rhythmic version in the first violins. This phrase parallels the first entrance of the tenor in the Jugend movement, as the alto sings of the maiden's slender limbs, violins refashion her dotted rhythmic figure into a sighing motive that is actually an inverted version of the sighing phrase from the previous song. As she continues, repeating the first two bars of the continuation of strophe two, violins embroider her sweet song with music from the prelude, concentrating on the decorative figures first heard in the flutes, but now without trills. The dreamy arching phrase appears both in violins and the voice. As in the Herbst movement, arching phrases occur frequently, sounding like sighs that express the maiden's restrained inner emotions. Woodwinds take over as the alto again reaches the depth of her range at the close of this strophe and finishes on a low B natural. Here is the conclusion of the second strophe. Thank you. 
Before the woodwind's playful treatment of the prelude's flute music can get beyond its first two measures, the prelude returns in G major to begin the development. Harp and glockenspiel add sparkle to this charming music. Suddenly a brief tattoo for winds, Mahler's hero motive, interrupts the reprise of the prelude. The tempo becomes increasingly lively, and with a grand sweep on a rising harp glissando, the whole orchestra bursts forth in a rousing C major to announce the appearance of the lads. They gallop forth lustfully on their gallant steeds. Swirling harp arpeggios stir the air, and the 16th note figuration of the maiden's theme becomes increasingly agitated, twittering on mordants that reflect the maiden's excitement. More wind tattoos lead to an orchestral explosion as the hardy lads come into full view, timpani pound out falling forths to imitate the horse's furious gallop to the accompaniment of a long woodwind trill and trumpet volleys. When the maiden's theme appears, it is shouted out by the woodwinds, expressing the strong emotions the maidens dare not speak of. The tempo suddenly increases again as the march theme enters in violins in stretto with woodwinds. Chords on weak beats flickering with a 16th note triplet plus 8th note figure on the mandolin and violins depict the fluttering maidens' hearts as the lads ride by. The boys are also roused by the sight of the beautiful maidens, and the same fluttering rhythm is added to their march theme. Now the orchestra is in full array, complete with cymbals, harp, mandolin, and glockenspiel, and resounds with the energy generated by the lad's wild ride and the maiden's excitement. Dotted rhythms play an increasingly important part in the marching tune, as its rhythm becomes even more animated. A sequence of increasingly faster segments follows as the lads gallop over the beautiful landscape in a wild frenzy. The alto sings strophe three with even greater agitation as she describes the appearance of the lads on horseback to a new theme that contains the dotted rhythms of the marching tune accompanied by elements of the maiden's theme and the horse's galloping motive. As if imitating the horses, the vocal line rides up and down the scale. Muted horns sputter out rat-a-tat sixteenths akin to the rapid-fire eighths on the trumpets that appeared in the trinklead movement. Repeating sixteenths in the horn jockey back and forth with the horn's motive as the tempo increases yet again. The tender maiden's theme has lost all of its reserve and takes on the rhythm of the horse's gallop. In a sequence of increasingly rapid tempos, each one preceded by the arching phrase from the prelude, which of course is sourced in the Yugen movement, the tempo threatens to lose all restraint. As the violins play their theme, they alternate every two beats between piano and forte. The alto shouts the closing lines of strophe three in uncontrolled excitement. On another sweeping upbeat, horns mightily assert the new theme of this strophe in a strident C minor, after the alto concludes it. Another brief orchestral passage ends with the arching phrase played forcefully by flutes, overlapping with the return of the march theme, hurtled in by a rush of ascending glissandos in woodwinds and violins. Played by trombones, the march theme now sounds almost threatening, as does the variation of the maiden's theme that has been developing in woodwinds and violins. The excitement mounts as the tempo reaches allegro 
and the tonality shifts from A-flat major to C minor. An extended orchestral passage follows with trombones roughly sounding the march theme while the woodwinds and strings continue to develop the more agitated version of the maiden's theme. The polyphonic writing is as complex as anywhere in the symphony, with cross rhythms depicting the intensity of the emotions generated by the horse's wild ride. In a single measure, embellished with flutter-tongued flutes, Mahler recalls the ornamental beauties of the blossoms referred to in the previous movement, now stomped upon by galloping horses. At the same time, horns sing out the new vocal theme of the previous strophe, and timpani pound out the horse's vigorous rhythm, animated by the 16th note triplets plus 8th note couplet that now becomes a more significant feature of the musical landscape. Violins take over the theme from the voice, ending with a sighing motor from the Yugen movement that sounds like little gasp for breath. As the tempo increases yet again, and the tonality moves into F major, the alto re-enters to begin strophe four. Suddenly the orchestral sound diminishes to a whisper on repeating offbeats in the violins, which are in an inversion of the horse's motive in fifths in low strings. We also hear scraps of the prelude figuration in woodwinds. Strophe five is a narrative of the scene that must have occurred in the preceding orchestral passage, set to the music of the alto's new theme, which begins with a falling fourth and an ascending scale. The overall contour of the theme is much like that of the avikite motive. Grace-noted eighths in the woodwinds depict the lad's lively frolicking, and repeated dotted rhythms in the vocal line describe the horses trampling upon the flowers. Surprisingly, the maidens do not seem to mind the destruction of their beautiful blossoms, as the merriment continues unabated. An even speedier extension of the new theme, moving into D major, ends the fourth strophe, and the development concludes just as suddenly as it began. The speedy music suddenly stops dead in its tracks, and without warning the introduction returns to usher in the recapitulation. Let's listen to the entire development section, beginning with the orchestral bridge passage that leads to the third strophe.
Symbolically, this seemingly innocent scene has far greater significance than may be immediately apparent. Horses trample upon nature at the instigation of man, exemplifying the destructive aspect of his character. Thus, a parallel is established with the scene in which we are mockingly assaulted by the only other animal to confront us thus far, the ape. Thus, subconsciously, the singer of Trinklied in his drink-induced slumbers, now dreaming this scene, never completely dispels the disquieting recollection of the terrifying graveyard scene. As the recapitulation begins, the prelude returns, casting off the preceding agitated scene. An abbreviated prelude leaves out the grace-noted repeating tones that begin the maiden's theme. Mahler reconfigures the order of musical material from the exposition. Strophe 5 begins as did strophe 2 rather than strophe 1, reversing the traditional order of thematic presentation in the recapitulation. But here the key is B-flat major rather than G major. Then the music for strophe 5 continues by co-opting the orchestral accompaniment to strophe 2, and the prelude reference that followed it. When the key changes to G major, the orchestra is reduced to a chamber ensemble. The echo effect on the arching theme that ended the second strophe is now presented in capsule. The remainder of this strophe is sung to a variation of the vocal line appearing at the beginning of strophe three, three notes rising stepwise. But then the melody changes direction, pulling the vocal line downward and disquietingly stretching the intervals of the repeated dotted rhythms that follow, as if to suggest the dismay the maidens feel as their young heroes gallop off. Violins also stretch the intervals of the arching refrain that accompanies the beginning of the alto's melody, giving the impression that the furtive sigh it previously imitated has now become a great swell of emotion. Violins accompany the measure of dotted rhythms in the voice, with a twice-sounded fragment of the figuration from the prelude that gushes effusively from off the beat. The appearance here of the frilly figuration from the prelude might imply that the maidens are beginning to recover from their swoon and return to their coquettish behavior. Mahler picks up the lilting violin figure containing the repeating bell strokes on high Ds from the opening measure. Now they sound even more like bells when doubled by the glockenspiel. For the last lines of the poem, Mahler varies the same vocal material used for the first strophe, sung against a double descant in clarinets. The piccolo enters with the lilting violin figure, extending it with swaying eighth notes that prefigure the flute accompaniment to the quasi recitative segments in Der Abschied. Violins take up this figure once again and extend it even further. The alto ends her charming song on a downward turn figure, followed by a melting phrase in flutes and oboes that contains both the motive of farewell and a cadential figure with a touch of leader, all describing the maidens gently waving goodbye to their young heroes. In a brief coda, various thematic elements are interspersed throughout the much-reduced orchestra. The arching phrase played in thirds on bassoons and oboes in overlapping sequence could not fail to melt the hardest of hearts. The sighing motive swells gently, its intervals no longer exaggerated as when in the heat of passion. 
For a moment, the tonality wanders off into the E-flat major of Sona de Lieben from the first movement, as the maidens seem lost in a reverie. In but one beat, G major is re-established, as clarinets wistfully play the arching phrase over an accented downward turn figure in horns. A repeated rising sixth is left suspended on the oboe, as violas play fragments of the lilting figure to isolated offbeat eighths that gradually die away. Flutes, harp, and cellos on high harmonics faintly sound a G major chord that creates a warm glow as the movement ends. The music seems to vanish into the sultry summer air. We listen from the recapitulation. Was it all but a dream, this brief glimpse of the beauties of nature and love? Could the tenor who will sing the next song as he awakens from his drink-induced sleep have merely dreamt it all 